Beyond Synth, Season 7, Sequence Commencing in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Hey there! Welcome to the show! This is episode 190 of Beyond Synth, and I am Andy Last. I host this show, and I am joined right now by... By me! <laughs> <laughs> Hello! <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's Marco. Hey, everyone. Thanks. Thanks, Andy. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing all right. How you been? I've been pretty good. I'm a working man now. I got myself a decent job here. Summer is on its way. It's some nice weather. It's uh, the winters never end here, man. They never fucking end. I, I was like, man, is this like ever gonna get warm? So looking forward to doing some exciting shit on the weekend, going out and you know exploring and all that. Yeah, and, and it's not over yet. Even though it's April, you think it's it's gonna be over? And I bet you there's still. I'm sick of people telling me that shit. It's over, all right. It's over. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> Anyways, I should tell everyone that today on the show is Jessie Fry, Ooh. and we'll be talking to her uh, later in the show. But right now, we haven't really done a Marco segment uh, this year, although you are part of the uh, the Beyond Synth family shows, and so I thought it would be a good That's idea right. to, uh, to catch up with Marco like old times. It's fun to do. Yeah, it, it is. It is. It has been a while, and um, I don't know. I love being part of this show. So <laughs> good. That was real good. Yeah. Because um. <laughs> we're in April now, man. So it's been. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So we got to make sure our banter is up to snuff. Yeah. We're all rusty here, not knowing how to how to talk anymore to each other. I know. I know. We were just talking normally before, and as soon as we hit record, I get all weird and shit. <laughs> <laughs> Just we just have to imagine each other in our underwear. Isn't that like the thing you're supposed to do when you're nervous? Yeah. Give yeah. a speech. <laughs> it's never worked for me. It made it even more weird. But yeah. Yeah. I guess if that works for you, I don't know. <laughs> I never understood why, that why, shit. why the fuck is this assembly full of perverts? Why would that make you more comfortable? Like I mean, why would, it's like oh, if you speak in front of a big audience, you know, just pretend they're in their underwear or whatever. You know, it's like oh yeah, that makes me less nervous. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> I just feel like I'm in some giant S and M dungeon or something. Thing. It's, yeah, it's a nightmare scenario. <laughs> All right, look. Um, every time we, uh, whenever we do a show and we haven't talked in a while, we end up talking for like way too long. So I'm just going to play a track right now before we get too carried away. So if people listen to the season finale, I canceled all the segments, and so keeping an 80s with Marco is no longer a thing. Aww. So Mike made a new jingle, which makes a lot of sense, seeing as I got rid of segments. <laughs> but anyway, it's and it's good. And this song, I think it's just called the Marco song, and I thought we would uh, listen to it. This is by Modern Night. This is uh, the new Marco song.
with Marco's new jingle. I think we're just yeah. calling we're just calling this the Marco song. But yeah, so that was a Modern Night, uh, aka Mike Mendoza, one of the uh, people who joins us in the Beyond Synth Family Show and talented artist. So that's a fun track. Thanks, Mike. Love it, mate. Love it. He did a really awesome job. But uh, now let's start the show proper. So I wanted to let you know that I just pre-ordered Mortal Kombat 11. Oh, exciting! That comes out in 16 days. That's probably the one fighting game that's consistently I've enjoyed. You know, I mean, um, I can't believe they're up to number 11, and they've, and they've all been pretty good. I played every single one of them. Well, I was going back like the other day I did a Twitch stream where I said I was going to go over the the Mortal Kombat lore and I ended up playing Mortal Kombat 1 and losing and then I just sort of gave up and stopped doing the show. I, you know, I went on the internet and I gathered clips and everything. Yeah. All the fatalities from like uh, you know, Mortal Kombat 1 to Mortal Kombat 5 and I had the story scenes and I had all of it mm-hmm. ready to go like a clip show. Like I was going to make this Twitch stream like informative. Right. And then halfway through I was like, what am I doing? Like this is way too much work for one person. Like yeah. I was trying to play video games and then also like queue up video clips and then it was too much for my computer because I had all the video clips queued up in Final Cut, which was, like, eating up a lot of my computer's processing power, like, having all of these programs open at the same time. Oh, dear. So then I just stopped. (laughs) But... Going through them again and playing, I, I am reminded of the weaker games. What's your opinion on the weaker ones, then? Which ones do you think the weaker ones are? Mortal Kombat 4. I think Mortal Kombat 4 is the worst one. Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, probably. It's gone back, it is. I mean, at the time, it was good. I think it was a little bit different. Um, I mean, I haven't played it in a while, but I, I, I do know what the game is like, and, and you're probably right. I think it's when they first really changed it to a little bit more 3D. Is that when you first could sidestep, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, that was the first one yeah. that wasn't live-action people, right? Yeah. I remember going on the internet and downloading a little tiny video that showed Scorpion's fatality. Uh I remember thinking, like, this is so cool because the camera was, like, spinning around, like, 360. (laughs) Right. But... The characters are so simple, like they're polygons. Well, it hasn't aged well. That's the problem. And the story scenes are terrible, but they're very funny. When you beat the game and watch those story scenes at the end, Yeah, they are awful, but amazing at the same time. Like, just how terrible the acting is in them and how shitty the animation is. But it's... Like, some (laughs) of my favorite things of all time. Like, nothing to me is funnier than... The ending when fucking Jax is holding Jarek over the cliff and is like, you can't do this to me. This is brutality. <laughs> like, this is not a brutality. It's a fatality. <laughs> din, din, drop some of them. The goose like, wah, wah. like as he falls, like it's so awesome. <laughs> like it's- I remember when it came out in Australia in the arcade. Was, like, the 90s were a weird time because I had that fucking 
the big deal about and I know Mortal Kombat was one of the big games with um, you know whether kids can play it whether they should be banned all, all that controversy whether it causes violence so we start they started having curtains around the game and kids couldn't play it they weren't allowed to play it so you literally had to stand under this like a, like a little tent thing with a curtain around it what? So yeah, I'm not kidding <laughs> I've got to see you the photos I mean it was towards the late 90s and then they changed it all and then it was just I mean then they were allowed to do whatever they want I think but it was just that weird period in Australia mm. I, I, I'll send you some photos dude shit was hilarious so you had like the tent was a reasonable size and there was away from other games so that if people wanted to watch they had to step under it as well so you're all in this weird little curtain enclosure what <laughs> just to watch this game I'm not kidding I'm not kidding it's that's fucking amazing. true man. look I want to talk more about this we gotta listen to a song though okay. I never knew this that's really <laughs> funny so look I got a song here from Knights who just put out an album and I think it features a lot of these singles I think maybe I played some of the singles on the show before but it's some good stuff it's a track called Dollars and C- well, I think the album's called Dollars and Cents and I'm going to play Dollars and Cents because that's a track that I dig it is brought to you of course by my awesome Patreon supporters the King of the Pattersons Chris Dance and then there's uh, William Stewart with the 6969 and Jose Arbello with the 6659 and Mr. Jacob Wick. Let's throw him in there for good measure because he's a he's a cool guy as well. These people uh, support Beyond Synth and they're very generous because that's a very I don't know have an ans- way to answer that. Uh, <laughs> wh- wh- why do you suppose these people are generous, Marco? I have no idea. Are they insane? No, I think I think they appreciate what you do and you do put on a good show, man. It's good entertainment for sure. But they're insane too, right? No, they're not. I bet you one of them. What do you mean? No, that's right, maybe a couple. Okay, this maybe two or three maximum, but the rest are all good, okay? Yeah. <laughs> all right, so look, this is a cool song we're gonna listen to right now. This is Knights, and that's uh, K-N-I-G-H-T with a dollar sign instead of an S. Ooh. And uh, this track is called Dollars and Cents. Oh 
And that was Dollars and Cents by Nights. And that is a cool track that was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. With the 42, there's City Hunter and Lucas Ceballos in the 2666 Club. Ooh. A lot of satanic people enjoy this show, and I can't blame them because of the devil. <laughs> I'm here with Marco right now, uh, Jesse Fry coming up in just a bit. You were telling me that in Australia... <laughs> They put a tent around Mortal Kombat. Yeah, yeah. There was, there was around Mortal Kombat, and it was House of the Dead too. They did the same thing. I love both games. And I remember it was just so weird. Yeah, they just had the curtains around it. So was House of the Dead and Mortal Kombat next to each other and in a tent, or was these no, separate? No, no. I saw them in separate arcades. I think. I, I mean, this is when arcades were still were still viable. You know, I think they were starting to die out in the late nineties because obviously PlayStation was probably a big part of it. The original PlayStation and Nintendo sixty four and all that and the arcade the consoles that came afterwards but um, no at that stage I think it was only certain games that had real a lot of brutality in it like uh, you know Mortal Kombat obviously and House of the Dead had a lot of blood even though you look back now and you go man it's obviously fake I mean it doesn't even look that good no I uh, I hear you so yeah, w- when I was going through to do this research for my Mortal Kombat show, which I'm not even going to do anymore, I went back and played a bunch of the old games. So obviously, I play Mortal Kombat 2 the most, I know that one the best, and then I started thinking like, well, which ones do I find the weakest and which ones do I find the strongest? So I think my favorite one is Mortal Kombat 2, followed by Mortal Kombat 2011. So was I Mortal Kombat 9? Yeah. I really liked that game just because I liked that it went back to basics and really focused on just the core characters from the first three Mortal Kombat games. Uh So I really like 9. I think Mortal Kombat X is still like the best looking fighting game I've played. I love X and so I'm excited to play the new one. I just find the ones that were on home console, Mortal Kombat, Deadly Alliance, Deception, and Armageddon, I find that trilogy to be sort of forgettable. Really? I enjoyed them a lot at the time. I really did. No, no, dude, I played the shit out of them and like I loved that stupid, terrible adventure game with Shujinko in in Mortal Kombat. Combat uh, Deception. Yeah. It was basically just fetch quests. Like, that's all it was. You just run up to a person and they, they would have terrible voice <laughs> acting. But I remember being impressed with just, hey, there's like an adventure game in here. Like, what are they doing? Like, they're such a weird team. They had this fighting game and then also there was just an adventure game and there was a puzzle combat mode and uh, chess combat and then Mortal Kombat Armageddon had a fucking kart racer in it. I, I never even bothered with those modes. I just, uh, but no shit. I, re- I remember that now. And it was like, fine. <laughs> yeah, it was fine. <laughs> they would always kind of bite off more than they could chew, and then they would cut corners in order to fit the stuff on. For example... Mortal Kombat Trilogy took all the character sprites from Mortal Kombat, you know, 2 and 3 and put them all in the same game. Yeah. Which was cool, except that since it would require that certain characters had new animations, they just cut that stuff out. Johnny Cage's nut punch, they just removed it. Mm -hmm. You know, the characters in Mortal Kombat 3, since Johnny Cage was dead, the characters didn't have a nut punch animation. Like, they didn't, right? So the way they dealt with it was just to get rid of the nut punch. It wasn't to use Photoshop and try and add those frames of animation with those other characters. It was just get rid of the move. They would always cut corners like that. And I remember like in 
Mortal Kombat Ultimate, they didn't show Sub-Zero's head rip fatality. The screen went black. Oh, really? I don't remember that. Oh, yeah. Shit. And I think they said it was like, oh, like it was too graphic. They wouldn't show it again. But I think it was them going like, ah, f- we're going to have to like draw a spine and that's too much work. <laughs> so we're just going to go black and say like it's a censorship thing. In Mortal Kombat Armageddon, mm-hmm. they bring all the fighters in from all the games. So it had like a cast of like 50 characters or something stupid. And when they did the 3D games, there was never a four-legged character. So when Motaro was one of the playable characters, they just gave him two legs. <laughs> then they got rid of fatalities in that game, like specific fatalities. And then they did that dial of fatality system. You remember that? Dial of fatality. What was that again? In Mortal Kombat Armageddon, characters didn't have unique fatalities in that game. Once the fatality started, you'd like hit forward, forward, high punch, and you'd pull their arm off. And then down, down, oh, low punch. yes. And you'd yes, pull their heart right. out. And then you would just try and see how many of those you could do before the timer ran out. Yeah. Yeah, that was kind of a cool gimmick. But it was a gimmick clearly because they were cutting corners again because they didn't want to have to create 50 unique fatalities, two for each character. Mm. So instead, they just did this dial of fatality where everyone had the same fatality, essentially. I was going to say it's probably technological restrictions, but it's not. I, I think it was just more laziness. And I think because I'm pumping our games, and, you know, whereas nowadays they spend a bit more time on these games, you know, it seems to be that way. But I think back then they just, I know, it was just like, oh, it's going to be too difficult. Ah, fuck it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> no, you're absolutely right, man. But look, we gotta we gotta listen to some more music. People are gonna send me emails going, "Why are you always talking about Mortal Kombat all the time?" So, uh, do you have a song picked? I actually do. I'm cool. glad that you asked. Nightrunners just brought out an awesome five track EP. It's available at nightrunner.bandcamp.com. It's called the Storyteller EP. The track I'd like you to play off it is uh, "Goodbye." Harris. All right, cool, man. Well, let's uh, listen to this. This is Night Runner with the track Goodbye, Karis. And uh, that is brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. That wild man, Jimpy, has upgraded his support. Jimpy's a cool guy. He's now in the $11 club. He's my friend. I got nothing. I... <laughs> <laughs> He's my friend too, all right? I don't know what to say. And of course, and I think we have a new donor here, Matthew Conway in the $5 Club. Thanks, Matthew Conway, for supporting the show. You are a cool guy. <laughs> all right, so let's listen to this track. This is Night Runner with the track Goodbye, Karis.
And that was Night Runner with the track Goodbye Karis. Now that's C-H-A-R-I-S. I'm assuming that is how that is said. It better be. Let me know, Night Runner. And uh, anyway, that was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. In the $25 Club, there's Mr. Clint Dowling and Mr. Hugh Hefner back from the dead. And then there's Honeybeard. Go check out Honeybeard on Bandcamp. And I'm back with Mark O'Merrick. I love that name, Honeybeard. <laughs> That's <Yeah>. really cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they make some cool tracks, man. I think we played one uh, on the show last week. You know what I was thinking? With that Disney-Fox merger, Mm -hmm. if they reboot X-Men, you think they'll give Wolverine the right costume this time? (laughs) You know, like, there's, like, fucking ten movies where Hugh Jackman plays Wolverine. He never puts the mask on. It's just too good looking. That's the problem. They do that a lot in movies where once the star gets bigger, like, they do that in Spider-Man all the time. You know, I wonder if that was the case. I wonder if Hugh Jackman said, like, I'm not wearing a mask for the whole movie or or half of the movie. I bet you he fucking did. I bet you it's actually not his call. Because, you know, you know fucking Judge Judge Red, the one with Stallone, he demanded to not wear the fucking mask. He didn't want it to cover his face because no, he's I, Sylvester Stallone. No, that's totally a Sylvester Stallone call that I believe. <laughs> no, that's literally what happened. He was like, fuck this. I don't give a shit about your goddamn comic. I'm not wearing a fucking, you know, I'm Sylvester Stallone. I'm not wearing a mask for the whole fucking movie. Once they have these actors, the bigger they get, it's like the producers want to see their money on screen. Yeah. And so it's like, why pay fucking 50 million to have Robert Downey Jr. be Iron Man if you're only ever going to see him in costume and never his face, right? And that's why yeah. every movie, like, as the star gets bigger, and it happened with the Spider-Man franchise, like, the Tobey Maguire ones, as they went on, they kept on finding more and more excuses to have his mask fly off yeah. to the point where, like, he'd get hit once and all of a sudden, like, half the mask would be ripped off so we could be reminded that Tobey's under there. In Spider-Man 3, I mean, Spider-Man 3's not great, but there's, like, two whole fight scenes where he fights Harry Osborn where they're not wearing costumes. Mm-hmm. And it bugs me because the movie would have been better if they were fighting each other as Green Goblin and Spider-Man, but they just fought each other as, like, Peter Parker and Harry, and yeah. it was, like, stupid. Even just during the battle scenes, at least, or something, right? Yeah, I like, think. and so that happens, and so I think with the Hugh Jackman thing, it's once it was established and he was Wolverine and everyone loved him as Wolverine, it was like, well, they're not going to put a mask on him now because we've established, like, the cinematic Wolverine doesn't wear that mask, yeah. so that's that. You like a character from a comic book, all you have to go on is the visual, and then they make a movie and they change the visual, and it's like, dude, yeah. as much as they try and say we're staying true to the core of these characters I'm like well part of the core of those characters is what they look like right especially in a comic book because that's all you have (laughs) you have literally what they look like the same with the Transformers you know like I remember when the first Transformers movie came out and the writers are like we're staying true to the core of the characters I'm like part of the core of these characters is the vehicles they turn into like that's part of it when you're a kid like Optimus Prime was a specific kind of truck that was the deal like that's who he is and when you change the truck you're kind of changing Optimus and it's that simple because they were the whole point of that cartoon was to sell toys you don't act like yeah. it's any deeper than that it's not <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it's a toy commercial so get the fucking toy right <laughs> like that's it in, in the Batman, the Dark Dark Knight Rises um, I mean McBain um, I always find that weird because <laughs> he's <laughs> <laughs> McBain yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's Tom Hardy and he wears a mask the whole time and I actually kind of thought well, I mean I, I get it's true to the, to the roots and I know why he has to wear the mask but McBain you know like they kind of <laughs> 
<laughs> they kind of wasted. I, I no, not wasted, but I didn't even know he was in the movie. When it finished, I saw the credits. I was like, what? He's in the movie? I didn't see him. <laughs> my friend's like, that was fucking Bane, you know? And I'm like, oh. I was like, I'm surprised. I guess they could have played. It could have been anybody, you know, really. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's not a real acting, a really great acting performance. It was just, you know, anyway. You know, it's weird because I watched the. Hold on, actually, yeah. we got it. <laughs> <laughs> wow, we, we, we're getting deep now. We, we, we keep yeah. on getting caught on these tangents. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I will play a song, and then you can play a song afterwards. How about that? Straight after, or are we going to talk in between? Well, we're going to talk. You know the way this show works. Okay. Yeah, I like talking. So look, William Stewart, uh, one of my patrons, has requested a track of my choice from Hexencraft's Body of Work. He says it's amazing dungeon slash dark synth. I will grant your request, William Stewart, because you're a cool <laughs> guy. So I chose this track, which is called Techno Magic Sacrament by Hexencraft. And this, of course, is brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters in the $25 Club, Eric Dahlberg, Tim Carlton, Johnny Five, and Emilio Estevez. What do you think about Emilio Astavez, Marco? I was just l- listening to his music the other day. He's actually pretty good, and he- and he's a cool guy too. Yeah. <laughs> 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 All right. Well, look, let's <laughs> let's listen to this song, man. This is Hexencraft from the album The Infernal Schism. This is Techno Magic Sacrament.
And that was Techno Magic Sacrament by Hexen Craft from the album The Infernal Schism. And that was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters in the $25 Club Pattern Shift. Kemsen, Joey and Kendra, and Martin Larby, who I've just been informed received his Beyond Synth sweater, which for some reason took longer to get to him than his t-shirt. A few people have actually ordered stuff from the Beyond Synth store, so if you ever order a Beyond Synth shirt or sweater or whatever the hell, please take a picture of yourself with it and send it to me so that I can like post like a, like, here's a Beyond Synth listener wearing stuff. Like, I think that's cool. Unless all of your sweaters are stuck in Compton like Martin's was. That's <laughs> actually where it was. <laughs> it's like I'm going to send a nice, f- nice photo of me and my jocks wearing yeah. one of your shirts. <laughs> <laughs> you can post that all over your page. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, people will like that. Maybe that can be like a bonus thing. <laughs> Support Beyond Synth uh, for a certain amount of months, and then I'll send you a picture of Marco in his underwear. Uh, it's Patreon exclusive, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll get him. I'm not fond of the Dark Knight Rises. I am not either. I am not either. They break a lot of the shit. Like, too many scenes in daylight that shouldn't be in daylight. I was re-watching it again, just watching some key scenes. So every so often, I'll do that with a movie where I go on Netflix and mm-hmm. just fast-forward to the parts that, like, oh, yeah, I'll watch the fight scene and stuff. Yeah. And I know they did this because when they did the test screening and you could watch the first six minutes of the movie in IMAX, that people complained that you couldn't understand what Bane was saying. <laughs> His voice was so stupid. I'm, I'm sorry. It was terrible. Well, see, I like it just because it's so weird. Like, I like weird yeah. performances, but I understand why <laughs> someone wouldn't like it because it is strange. Yeah. But what I notice is, and I know they did like a redub or they changed the filter on the voice to make it clearer. Right. But... They made it too clear. So when I watch the movie, I hate every time he talks because it sounds like his voice is coming out of like a loudspeaker somewhere and not like out of the guy. Like it sounds like voiceover. Yeah. Because when I saw the original scene, I found some of his lines hard to hear, but it did sound like it was coming from the character's mouth. Yeah. Whereas once they cleaned it up for audiences to understand it, it just sounds weird. It sounds like a guy doing voiceover narration. Like everyone else is talking like... Even when he's like far away, every time he talks, it's too clear. It's too loud. It's just really distracting. Yeah, it is. You fight like a younger man. Nothing held back. It's. Just, I know. It's like the guy Sean Connery or something. It's like. <laughs> <laughs> It's like, is he supposed to be a menacing bad guy? Like, But this is what bothered me. He just wasn't a good bad guy. He wasn't. The voice, the way he looked, it was ridiculous. I'm finding myself laughing a lot of the time when he's talking. I'm yeah. like, this is funny. Like, so, you, I mean, there was, they did so well in that series. You know, you got you got Batman Begins where it's Liam Neeson. And he, he was really good in that, I thought, as a bad guy. And then you got fucking, of course, in The Dark Knight, you got uh, Heath Ledger, the late Heath Ledger. You know, and he did a, a really, really great performance, a different performance of the Joker. And he was a great bad guy you know and then you got fucking McBain it's like what the fuck it's like <laughs> something out of the Simpsons you know <laughs> yeah, McBain is literally from the Simpsons yeah I know I know but that's what I mean that's what it felt like I was like is this supposed to be comic or something and then I don't know and, and now I shall break you <laughs> Oh, and then and then the whole... I don't want to just shit all over the movie, but it was just disappointing. And then the whole prison thing, like this, oh, he, he, he lived in this prison and he got out somehow and it was like the worst prison in the world. And then he's in there and I'm going, this place isn't that bad at all. I go, what's so bad about it? I mean, everyone <laughs> seems... You know what I mean? Like, I'm sure there's much worse prisons in Mexico or somewhere. Like, it's, I don't know. It just seemed watered down and it, it really didn't seem that dark. 
at yeah. all as well. I have the similar problem with how the big fight at the end happens in the daytime. Like, yeah. it is just wrong. It just feels wrong. Yep. There's lots of stuff like that. But how about this? Do you want to play me a song? Sure, sure. I got a song for you here. So, a new track here from Bourgeoisie called The Robo Khan. It is one of the two exclusive tracks featured by Bourgeoisie on the Future Is Now graphic book by Josan Gonzalez. Cool. So this, uh, before we get too carried away, is brought to you by my awesome PayPals. These are the people who uh, don't care for Patreon, but they still donate to Beyond Synth by going to the Beyond Synth website, beyondsynth.com, and clicking uh, the PayPal donate button. There's DevJock and Replicant69, who's also a donation of the Beast guy. It gets confusing. And then, of course, there's Rob Dyson, Digital Dreams, Jimmy Groon, the Ross Conian, Anthony Anselmo, Deepak Ganger, and Victor Roy. All cool people. And uh, look, let's listen to this cool song, man. This is Bourgeoisie with the Robocon.
And that was the Robocon by Bourgeoisie. Oh. I'm here right now chatting with Marco. We got Jesse Fry coming up in just a bit. Cool. Of course, that track was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters in the $25 Club, Gregorio Franco, Blake Peterson, and Mike Shima. And Rachel Buchelman upgraded her support. Did I already mention that last week? She's in the 1985 Club. So what else is going on? Well, I, look, before we get to far off I, I wanted to talk a little bit more about Mortal Kombat I actually wanted to talk about DC versus uh, Mortal Kombat which was one of my favourite Mortal Kombat games I mean you'd class it as Mortal Kombat right I mean you would but uh, I loved that and it incorporated so many great uh, superhero characters into it that's one I haven't played since I owned it when I went back and was playing Mortal Kombat games for my uh, thing I was gonna do <laughs> that wasn't one of the games on the list a game I really enjoyed was Shaolin Monks I enjoyed that too but DC versus Mortal Kombat, I think, is a game that a lot of people just, you know, whenever you bring it up, people wish it didn't happen or they forget really? about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you, you, you might be, like, one of the only people who ever, like, remembers that game fondly. What the hell? I used to have so much fun playing it with my friends. And the thing about it was, it was cool that they had these other characters you could pick. But they were kind of true to Mortal Kombat. The movements, the specials, the way it all worked. But, um, yeah, I guess it's just me then. Fine. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Screw you guys. Yeah. <laughs> 89% like this video game, Andy. 89% on Google. Okay, so I, I don't know what you're talking about. I think maybe it's just you. Uh, in the comments, I mean, what? what please, uh, I want to hear other people's opinions. What do you think about the game? Is Andy wrong or am, am I wrong? No, you're wrong. You're wrong. Now, look, there's a... Uh... Hey, what's that sound, man? What sound? I'm playing the Donation of the Beast jingle. Uh, oh, oh, that sound. <laughs> Thank you for playing along. Oh my god. <laughs> well, you know what that is? It's time for the donation of the beast. That's right. These are all the people who donate $6.66 every time the blood moon rises. We call out the names of the do- of the blah blah blah. Of the don't fuck <laughs> me. Whatever. These are all the people who donate $6.66 to Beyond Synth. They read through the Bible and they didn't like it or they thought that Satan was the hero or something. I don't know. Anyways, look, they're donating money. So look. There's Replicant 69, Artificial, R Valentine, Philip Back, Penanaro. Luke BTD, Love Machines from Ix, Alexandro Samaras, Zeon B, Tomas Shimanek, Street Cleaner, Renton Brax, Till Wild, Orlando Rodriguez Knife, Straylight, and Ross Pentland. And we'll round it out with the Polar Wildcat Studios. Why? Just cause. And that was the donation of the beast. All right. <laughs> so look, I want to play another track. This is a cool one from a guy called Gianmarco Fabretti. And this is Mr. Daddy. I swear it sounds like you're making up these names sometimes. <laughs> <laughs>
And that was Mr. Daddy by Gianmarco Fabretti. And I dig that one. That's a fun song. That was brought to you by my uh, awesome Patreon supporters. There's Murat, Hampus ML, Kenjiru, Chatterack, and we will never forget the immortal Chris Salia Lane. So look, dude. I want to go to my conversation with Jesse Fry now. Yeah, I'm, I'm keen to hear that. She's a great vocalist, so, um, yeah, bring it on, brother. Do you have uh, anything you want to add before I uh, go to that? No, no, I, uh, not really. I'll, I'll be uh, chilling here and listening, and I'll be back afterwards. <laughs> 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 like when people just describe how the show works. All right, man, well, look, uh, here's my conversation with Jesse Fry. All right, well, I'm here right now with Jesse Fry. Yeah. How's it going? It's going good. How are you? Uh, it's uh, I'm fine. Sorry, I don't know why I stammered on that one. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be really hard if I can't even get that out. Let me make it absolutely clear, Jesse Fry. I am fine. <laughs> we had like a snowstorm today, and it just didn't stop snowing all day. Because I'm in Canada. That's right. It got really cold here. Like We had a major temperature drop this evening. You are in Texas? Uh, yep, I'm in Texas. Alright, how's Texas for you? It's good. You know, I was born and raised so the weather's always very bipolar, as we say. If you don't like the weather in Texas, wait 10 minutes and it will change. And that's about true. And then we get like two or three days of amazingly beautiful paradise spring weather mm. in April. And then once May hits, it, we're just like 103, Whenever I talk to people in the States and they talk with their Fahrenheit, and I always make the same joke, and I've done this for six years, where I, I complain about how I can't do the conversions in my head. Okay. So you know what? I'm going to make a point this year to actually learn to convert on the fly. 38 degrees Celsius. Man, that's hot. 101 is. So you, you get the idea. <laughs> I like talking about the weather with people. Okay. All right. So look. You are Jesse Fry. Is that your actual name? <laughs> Why do people ask me that? <laughs> well, I just had Roxy Drive on a few weeks ago, and so that's an obvious fake name. Jesse Fry seems like it could be a real name. I have known some fries. I am a fry. Tried and true. Super proud of that. <laughs> <laughs> the Texas fries. Well, my parents are actually from Louisiana, so to make it even cooler, my dad is from Freiburg. Where's Freiburg? We have an actual town. It's a very small, backwoods country, population 30, hmm. but there's actually like a highway sign that says Freiburg. Nice. Yeah, no, that's where my family is. Uh, my dad has passed, so that's where he's buried. And um, the other interesting thing about Freiburg is that Bonnie and Clyde were shot about five miles from my grandmother's house. God, I've never seen that film. Everyone, I, I need to see it. I've heard the ending is quite violent. Well, it was. You know anything about how they were... Well, they are in their car, right? And then they, they just surrounded the car and just blew them away. Wasn't that how it happened? There was like almost a thousand bullet holes, I think, in the car. It was something ridiculous. The Louisiana law force, I mean, they really, really wanted them dead. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, I'm kind of a nerd. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they were they were hard to catch, and they were kind of the first of their kind. They got to a point where they were running out of people to hide with. You know, they were getting out of places to run, and so they were living in um, this shack barn type thing in the woods in Louisiana, out in uh, Bayonville Parish, where Freiburg is, for the last couple of weeks, I think, of their life. And then they had stopped on the side of the road, and um, yeah, they were shot hundreds of times, if I'm correct. There was a period of time in Hollywood 
where all the movies end with the main characters just getting murdered and then the credits roll. Mm. Just these these bleak endings and there's no music. Yeah, yeah. And they would always end with like the main characters like walking on a beach and then he just gets blown away and then it does this really big zoom out. Like they use like this super zoom and it just zooms all the way out and yeah. there's no music and then it just fucking rolls the credits and like, cool. Mind you, it, it, it's really impactful. Yeah, kind of leave you with it in such a way. Yeah, man. And a lot of new movies don't really, like, leave me with anything. I'm, no. I watch them and I'm like, okay. Sure. But I'm an old man, so, you know. <laughs> Very old. Yeah. <laughs> so, look, we'll dive in here to the uh, Jesse Fry oeuvre oh. from Freiburg. Wow. That's uh, yeah. That means we're going to listen to some songs by Jesse Fry and talk about them. Oh, my goodness. I'm nervous. So, this was a track... From 2014 called White Heat. Oh, wow. You're going back. Okay. Okay. I'm like James Lipton. You remember that weird guy called James Lipton? Or Nardwar. Yeah, I guess. You don't know who Nardwar is? No, I just, I like the James Lipton better because like uh. he's sat in a chair. <laughs> Go on. I don't know what that means. <laughs> I was trying to make a point. I'm like, I realize I don't have one. So let's listen to this awesome track. Uh, this is White Heat by Jesse Fry.
And that was White Heat by Jesse Fry. And I'm here with Jesse Fry right now. So going over your previous work, you sort of dabbled in different genres. I personally am a fan of the synth and, and the synth pop and the synth sure. wave and that sort of stuff. So that's what I'm going to be focusing on. Yeah. yeah. Just so we're, we're cool with that. Yeah. So talk to me about uh, making music. Well, what, that's a really broad question. <laughs> yep. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not even going to reword it. I mean, um, <laughs> be more specific. Well, what do you want to know? Well, you sing, obviously. Mm. Did you take training when you were young to yeah. sing or did you, was just the dream? Sure. So here, yeah, I guess I give you a little bit of a timeline. Uh, I started singing when I was eight. In Freiburg. In lessons. No, I was <laughs> born and raised in Dallas. <laughs> yeah, singing lessons when I was eight. Then I started training classically on the piano at 11. Started writing songs around that time-ish, you know, because I was singing and learning how to play. I was homeschooled from 13 years up. Kind of helped me focus on music instead of school. <laughs> My mom was pretty cool like that. And I started working at a local music store when I was 16, full-time. And I continued to take lessons at the music store on my lunch break, actually. Do you have one of those pianos where the keys light up so you can learn how to play the songs? You sounded really excited about that question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really excited about all my questions. I'm a very inquisitive guy. No, I didn't. Mm. And then I started teaching piano at 17 and I tried to go to college and I just wasn't interested in it. And I was making good money teaching. Then I started my band. So like I did a little demo, like an acoustic folk piano, like EP type demo Mm. when I was like 18 or 19, I believe. And um, I had never played a show or anything like that. I knew about music. I knew about writing music and playing classical music and singing and teaching. But in terms of the gigging world, you know, or the industry, I had no, absolutely no idea about any of it. So I um, just kind of was poking around online one day. I think I was 19. And I sent an application to South by Southwest. It figured I was wasting my money, you know, but I actually got invited to play. And that was in 2009. So I had to get a live band together. <laughs> What was the music you were making at that time? It was like some of it was Tori Amos type confessional piano stuff because that was my biggest influence. And The Cure lyrically took a lot from Robert Smith. They've been my favorite band since I was five. Remember when Tori Amos dated Trent Reznor? Well, that's not really confirmed. Wasn't that a thing? I thought they told stories about it because there was like a haunted chicken or something. I'm sorry. I think it's strong speculation. <laughs> I don't think it's bad. I'm also saying, remember that thing that none of us were privy to? Right. <laughs> Yeah, so then it kind of became some like Led Zeppelin influence, really found a voice and a stage presence with rock. And so we chased that for a while. And I've been doing this a long time. I've been creating and writing music and putting out music and performing for a very long time. And so I don't really see myself as one thing. I see myself as a, as a creator, as a songwriter. Mm. And I've always just followed my heart and my intuition. And I think when you do that, these natural steps happen that make sense as you grow. I don't sit down and go, I'm going to write a rock song. I'm going to write a synthwave song. I've always just written music and answered to what the song calls for in terms of production. For many years, that was pop rock. The bulk of my career has been pop rock. And so I did that and you know, still do that in, in certain ways. 
And then you, you start to grow and different opportunities come up and different life experiences come up and that, that make you see things differently or, or want to try different things. So I guess that's a long-winded response to kind of quote-unquote explaining how I landed to uh, getting more into creating synthwave music. There's always been a pop undertone and there will always be a pop undertone to what I do. When, when I say pop, I mean I'm very passionate about writing melodies and giving the song a personality that is not only catchy, but the listener feels like it is at once very accessible and very personal. I think that's why pop music is so appealing to so many people is because it's this wonderful combination of everything. But yeah, honestly, getting into the synthwave scene was an absolute accident, number one. And number two, the best thing that's ever happened to my career. <laughs> well, you made some catchy stuff and some catchy collabs, right? So, Well, I mean, Faded Memory happened in like the weirdest way. I don't think any a lot of people know how that happened. Oh, well, you know what this? How about this? You know what this? Jesus Christ. Okay, I, I'm going to play a song. <laughs> we're going to play a song because we're going to tease this exciting story you're about to say, right? Yes. yes. You've just been like, no one knows about this. Although I did want to play Faded Memory later on in the show. You can copy and paste. I wonder if I should uh, just play it now and then we'll sort of bounce around. Well, let's do that. Okay. Th- this way, this whole thing comes together and relates. I'm, I'm a good host. All right. Look, we're going <laughs> to listen. We're going to listen to this song called Faded Memory. Time Cop 1983 featuring Jesse Fry and uh, let's do that.
Sweet, and that was Faded Memory. Now, wait a second. How did you guys word this? Is this actually Jesse Fry featuring Time Cop or vice versa? It's literally what it says. Right. Right. Okay. <laughs> and there have been people that have posted, it's Time Cop featuring Jesse Fry. I'm like, eh. Yeah, because it says Jesse Fry featuring Time Cop. Yeah. It doesn't happen often that way. That's why it's confusing. Well, I think that's why that's it confuses right. people. That's why it was awesome, okay? Because <laughs> everyone was like, who is this bitch getting Time Cop on her song? <laughs> so you how, how did uh, Yordi get in touch with you? Or is that how it worked? I emailed him blindly. I just sent out a cold email and I said, hey, really love your stuff. Huge fan. I noticed you sometimes have singers featured on your tracks. Would love if you would consider me. Here's my song, Honey. Let me know. Thank you. Mm. You're amazing. And like a month later, I got an email back and he was like, Oh my God. Yes. I love Honey. I would love for you to sing on one of my songs. I'm working on Night Drive, essentially, is what he said. Mm. And so he sent me about five beats to choose from. And I remember opening up the beats on uh, Dropbox and like having a anxiety attack because I was so excited. I could not believe I was about to like listen to five Time Cop beats that I got to freaking choose from, mm-hmm. right? And so there were two that stood out to me. The one that, you know, ended up being faded. Memory was the one that really just kept pulling my heart in. And so I chose that beat. And um, I did uh, the lyrics and the melody over a course of about three days. I spent several hours on it. It was really cool because I'd never sang on a song like that before. As a singer, it helped me access different parts of my voice and and kind of sing stylistically more in that 80s pop way. Then I went and cut the vocals in about two hours with my producer, Matt Aslanian, which is crazy because two hours for me is very short. We typically spend like a, a very long time because we really like to make it absolutely perfect. But it was the beauty of it. We, we just kind of it felt right. We did it and we didn't think about it too hard. I sent him the vocals and he loved it. And then he came back a couple weeks later and he said, I'm sorry, it doesn't fit. <laughs> on night drive I love it but I'm not gonna put on night drive I wasn't upset or anything and he was like do you want to release it (laughs) as a single so I did and then Matt did a little bit of extra production on the track he added those guitars that are the more rhythmic guitars in the choruses and I believe he added some of those extra drum fills as well then he was like it's it's okay if it says featuring time cop because you know you put a lot of effort into it as well well it's a good song man people dig it I dig it. Well, here's the weird thing and why I think that story is so important because I feel like if it had just been on Night Drive, that I don't think it would have gotten quite the attention. I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean, because it was pushed as a single. Yeah. I did a bunch of promo photos. I did a video for it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I think that kind of helped get the song out there a little bit more. It was honestly, I'm not exaggerating, it was probably one of the best things to happen for me in my career because... It opened me up to this world of a community and a fan base that I've never experienced such a response from before and had never experienced such a demand of, we need you to give us more of this. The Synthwave community is interesting. It really is just based on appreciation for just cool music. As someone who's coming into it, kind of as an outsider in a sense, Mm. I love so many of the bands in the genre, but I don't see a lot of very personal, emotional expression. I think that's why people connected to Faded and Fantasy is because the lyrics are more 
vulnerable instead of, you know, I'm riding in my DeLorean and the full moon's out and we're <laughs> dressed in neon jackets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, that's cool and everything. I'm, I'm totally not knocking on people that focus on the aesthetic like that. I'm, I'm really not. But for me, I want to add that raw emotion to the genre because I think it would serve it well to have more of that. Anytime someone new comes into the scene, it's great because there are um, a lot of vocalists, male and female, that are really talented in the scene. But what what happens is there sometimes gets like a saturation. So there's some artists I really like, but they've sung with like every artist, you know, or they've they've got so many different songs. And so it's so nice just to have like when a new voice comes in, it's like, hey, a new voice. Like, because I just love cool music. Sure. And so I'm always happy to hear more of it. That's my selfish take on this whole thing. Like, so if, if everyone turned to this <laughs> genre, I'd be really happy because <laughs> it's interesting when people come at it from different angles as well. Like, yeah, for sure. A, a lot of artists in this scene, you know, they started out, they, they were in like metal bands or they made like chiptune music and stuff. And then they find synthwave and they sort of bring something different to it. And so I think that's also what's happening with you. You know, when you come at it from a certain, you know, like a pop rock kind of background, you're just going to bring something different to it. Sure. I think the thing, that, the thing that has been very interesting to see from fans is the feedback of like, your voice just fits so perfectly with this type of music mm -hmm. and production. Not that I need that validation. I'm, I'm grateful for it. But when I hear feedback like that, it does encourage me to explore more with the sounds within the genre, you know, and like, okay, wow, well, then I can get a little looser on, I get a little more experimental, you know, about what I'm doing if, if, um, if people are enjoying, you know, what I did with DJ 10 and, and stuff like that. So it's just very, there's so many different subgenres, you know what I mean? And there's, yeah. uh, I just, yeah, it's um, kind of something for everybody. And you, you really made a great point when you said that people focus on the, on the sound, they put the music first. And I think especially, you know, as a, as a female, it is super refreshing to be respected and, and, and get fans that appreciate the vocals and the songwriting and even you know fantasy is a sexy video but it's like a very different response from like the norm because there were there are a few years where i felt like i was struggling to be recognized for my talent so anyway that's just another thing that i love about this scene is that not only is it very supportive but it's got its head on its shoulders yeah man well i dig it i want to listen to some more music cool that my friend is a segue so we're gonna go we're gonna bounce all over the place so we, we talked about honey a bit so how about we listen to this Ooh. this was uh, an earlier track of yours and then we'll uh we'll keep talking so this is honey by jesse fry
And that was Jesse Fry with the track Honey. And I'm here with Jesse Fry right now. Now, with this particular song, mm. are these lyrics as sexually scandalous as I think they are? Or is this like a metaphor for interest rates or something? <laughs> it's about the plot of the North American honeybee. <laughs> <laughs> If you listen closely, you'll you'll get it. Oh, yeah. No, yeah, it's absolutely extremely sexual. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. I saw some video of you. Uh, you were like performing at like a Bernie Sanders rally to like a big crowd. Yeah. So, um, are you like one of these Bernie bros I keep hearing about? Well, I hope so. If I'm finding myself singing in front of ten thousand people, I keep hearing about Bernie bros. I don't know what they look like. I don't know what that is. I was and am a Bernie supporter, um, just in general. I think sometimes the news. I mean, I'm up in Canada, but we see a lot of like the American news, and I think they like to yeah. try and like paint the people who like Bernie Sanders in a negative light. Well, of course, because he's the good guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, because that was that was the whole thing. They're they're trying to perpetuate. Perpe- they're trying to perpetuate. Perpetuate this notion, you know, of like all the people who like Bernie are just these like angry dudes. That's very strange because that's not true. The other side. (laughs) Yeah. Especially when like, you know, when they try and make somebody out to be bad and then every time they talk, you're like, but everything this dude says is kind of cool, isn't it? Like, why are they mad at this dude? He really spoke to the youth. He, He did. He did remarkable things that have never really been done before, so I really don't know what to say. Yeah, well, that'll be the end of our politics talk. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to point out that you were performing for a big crowd and it looked exciting. Thanks, that was a crazy day, yeah. <laughs> How did you find yourself in that situation? Yeah, so um, 2016, February, I was on tour. I got an email from the Bernie Sanders campaign, and they were like, we really love your stuff. Can you come play at a Bernie Sanders rally? Bernie won't be present, but it'll be in... Uh, It'll be in Denton, which is a city like north of Dallas. We'd love to have you get the crowd pumped up. So I went and I performed in front of about 500 people and it went really went over really well. And then Bernie's deputy director of state, David Sanchez, was there and he said, hey, if Bernie comes to town, would you would you want to play for him? I was like, oh, my like, um, yeah, hell, hell yeah. <laughs> Two weeks later, uh, as the end of February 2016, I'm like running on the treadmill at the gym and my phone rings and it's David Sanchez. And he's like, Bernie's going to be here in 36 hours. Can you do it? It's a Verizon theater. There's going to be seven to 10,000 people there. And I said yes, not knowing if I actually had my bandmates available. (laughs) The next 36 hours, we were dealing with the Secret Service because the Secret Service would say yes and they'd say no. And then they'd go back and say, yes, she can do it as long as it's acoustic. It was like this whole ordeal. This whole like 36 hour anxiety attack. I'm trying to figure out the acoustic rule. Is that if you had a keyboard, it could be in a bomb or like what's the... Yeah, yeah. Secret Service didn't want to have to check and, and dog sniff and bomb sniff an entire band and all their instruments. It would have been hell, basically, is what they were playing <laughs> Okay. Yeah, I ended up doing it. Performed in front of... It was like 7,000 inside, 3,000 outside, and there were TVs everywhere. And um, it was life-changing, career-changing, and got to meet Bernie and shake his hand and take photos with him. He actually thanked me in his speech, and it's on YouTube. It's so fucking cool. You know what you should have done? What? Was sang the song Honey, but changed it to Bernie. Oh. Good Lord in heaven. Are you for real? I just didn't, I hadn't written Honey at that point. Well, go back in time and do it. Yeah. (laughs) Make this joke work. (laughs) (laughs) That's how that happened. And it just changed my career. It really did. I couldn't go anywhere for like a year and a half without being stopped. By Bernie bros. 
by people. Mm. It was cool. Well, that is cool. Yeah. Don't mind me. I'm a goof. I always tell myself, I'm like, you know what? Whenever I start to get nervous about something, I'm like, bitch, you've done that. Okay, so you perform for a potential presidential candidate. So there's nothing you can really get nervous about now, right? Does that work? It does work. Yeah, I find I, I'm, I'm not very good at tricking myself. Like, whenever I have some sort of anxiety about something, and I think, like, this part of my brain goes, here's a rational reason why you shouldn't be upset about this. I'm like, nah. You know, the mind <laughs> is an association machine. So you're going to move to the strongest notion in your mind, and that will be what's true for you. Yeah. <laughs> Which is usually the anxious behavior. I think that's where my mind always goes. Before, When you go to bed and when you wake up, write in a journal next to your bed, say, I am a calm person. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to help you. Hey, man, no, thanks. I'm a super calm person. I did try for a while writing down my dreams, but I would end up just scribbling. It, it worked better if I had a recorder. Mm, yeah. But then my my voice, if you ever try to record your voice, the moment you wake up to record a dream, then you end up with this recording where it's like, I was in the middle of a field. <laughs> there was a tank. That sounds like half my voice memos in the morning. <laughs> Oh, it's really, you know, oh, I have this really fun game. And if there's any musicians listening, they're going to laugh their ass off and they're going to want to play no it. No one listens to this show. What me and my, my guitar player do is we get out our phones and we go to our voice memos. And I mean, we, when you jot down ideas or when you record a voice memos, often like you go back and listen to it and they suck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I'll like sing a little melody that comes into my head. So the game is you pull up your voice memos and you randomly have to click one and let it play and you have to like you can't stop it both of you take turns doing this and it is honestly the most like embarrassingly hilarious thing ever because you're hearing like you're hearing these horrible ideas or like you know I wanna yeah like you know what I mean like it's like a voice memo dream song you know like when you just wake up and like no one can hear it ever but you're like oh my gosh it's so funny but look, here's what we should do. Yeah. We should listen to another song. Cool. So I thought we would listen to this track, the one you did with DJ Ten. Oh, cool. It's called We Are the Night, featuring Jesse Fry. I got it in the right order, right? That is that. Yes, you did. And uh, we're gonna listen to this right now, man. This is DJ Ten. We are the night featuring Jesse Fry.
And that was We Are The Night featuring Jesse Fry by DJ10. And I'm here with Jesse Fry right now talking about playing shows and making tunes. I find homeschooling interesting. <laughs> What's homeschooling like? I don't know. I mean, I don't know. I was just homeschooled for five years. <laughs> there you go. There's your answer mm. from a homeschooler. I don't know. There you go. It's cool. It was cool. I don't think it's for everybody. I don't even think it was honestly for me. I think I just... Why did that happen? I was being bad. I see. I was making out with boys in front of everybody at school. And shame, shame, Jesse Fry. Giving the principal the middle finger. And oh, no. That's the worst one. Wearing skirts that are too short. Uh-oh. And, you know, I was being bad. Okay. I really was, actually. For me, as I remember, you know, Marilyn Manson was really, really big. Uh, this was the height of his career. Well, what I consider the height, because I consider his holy trinity to be Antichrist, Superstar, Mechanical Animals, and Hollywood. Anyway, <laughs> huge Manson, huge early Manson fan. Anyway, I was a cheerleader, and then I borrowed my brother's Manson records, and then I came back from Christmas break as a goth. <laughs> I'm not even exaggerating. For some reason, the one song I liked the most on Antichrist was yeah. that song where it's just it just had like that crazy beat. The lyrics were silly, but it was like each time I make my mother cry. Each time I make my mother cry, an angel dies and falls from heaven. What is, uh, <laughs> is it Worm Boy or yes. something like yeah, that? Yeah, something like that. It's about a worm. Okay. Um, prick your finger. It is done. The moon has now eclipsed the sun. Yes. The angel has spread its wings. The time has come for bitter things. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's sung through a vocoder. God, I am so goth right now. I'm so proud of myself. <laughs> yeah. I'm proud of you. Go on. Thank you very much. I just got rebellious. Mm. And I, I I think that there was actually, honestly, a lot of tension between students and teachers because we were getting in trouble for the way we wanted to dress. And the school that I was going to, I guess, in particular, the teachers were dead set on just getting the kids in trouble, is what it felt like. And I think that kind of made me feel cool as a 13, you know, 12, 13 year old. And I felt like a one big fat fuck you, you know. Then I started getting into Tori Amos and piano. And my mom was like, look, you know, if you want to get out of public school, you you're going to focus on piano. You do your schoolwork for four hours a day. And um, how does that work, though, when you start the process of applying to college and stuff like that? So how? No, I never applied to any colleges. I went to community college. That counts as college, doesn't it? I don't think so. <laughs> it's got the word college in it. I love to learn and I and I love to read. It's not that the idea of education bothers me. I feel like I have an issue with being stuck in a classroom. Yes. Well, they're silly. Uh, yeah. And so I just basically spent my teenage years like staying up till four in the morning, playing piano, reading Oscar Wilde. I woke up at like two in the afternoon every day, did my homework, did my homeschool for like three hours. I mean, I just fall asleep when I'm in a classroom setting, like even in college, I fell asleep. I get bitchy. Yeah, I just fall asleep. I need to be engaged physically, like with the thing. Right. Because I went to film school. And if we have a class where it's you know, oh, today we're learning about editing theory. I'm like, snooze, like, teach me this by actually, like, making me film something and then put me on a computer with an editing machine and then teach that way. Like, yeah. that's the way I learn. Like, I do not learn by people saying facts at me. 
Well, you know what's interesting though? I love acting class. I do acting class and that feels like a different environment to me than like a college classroom. You know what I'm saying? Well, I mean, if you actually care, I think- Do you think that there's something annoying about being in an educational classroom with like 20 of the people there are idiots and you feel like you're wasting your time? Well, yeah. I mean, I think that unless you can see some sort of goal, for example, when I was in film school, a college, they made us take some classes that were like- I don't know what the fuck they call them, like those all-purpose classes. So even though, like, I was only interested in film, every semester we had to take, like, a business writing class. Or... Um, what, is that? what did they call that shit? Um... Shit, I don't know. It's got a word. Anyway, I got fucking kicked out of class in college. Like, I didn't even think that could happen because one day I was laughing too much. The teacher kicked me out and, like, said, like, go sit in the hall. And I'm like... Does that happen in college? I was like, that's weird. I got kicked out all the time in, in public school. Like, I was a giggler. Yeah. I like to make jokes. Like, I was never... A giggler. Yeah, I just laughed a lot. I had so many teachers just like... And I had some teachers that were so attuned to my goofing off that, like, they would just instantly, like, the second I started laughing, just like, Andy, out, out, oh, <laughs> out. Really? I remember the fucking Mr. Morley in fucking grade seven history, and he kicked me out every day. <laughs> like, every day, the second I did anything, my pencil could roll off my desk. He'd be like, out. That's hilarious. I actually liked him, though. I didn't mind that guy. I thought he was funny, and I thought it was funny that I got kicked out all the time. Right. But whatever, man. Everyone's got to have a talent. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not... <laughs> What a talent that was. Look, I want to uh, I want to listen to more music. Yeah. Now, I found this one. There was one you did with uh, Wayflow. Yes. Called Fractions. Mm-hmm. So let's listen to that. Something to do.
right, and that was Wayflow with the track Fractions featuring Jesse Fry. I'm here with Jesse Fry right now talking about homeschooling, being bad, giving the principal the finger, and <laughs> fucking practicing music. See how I sum this up? I love it. I love it. There's a dude who does a lot of the production mixing stuff, a dude called Matt. So who's that guy? Is he like a bandmate or is he just a dude? <laughs> Matt Aslanian. Hmm. He is one of my best friends and he is a producer and sometimes now a bandmate. Um, he's playing with us at South by Southwest. I've been making music with Matt for about five years now. He actually produced White Heat. So basically anything that anyone listens to, Matt has produced and engineered. He actually gets co-writing credit on my songs because we work so closely together with the structure and, um, and the arrangements and the production. I really do feel like he's become more than just you know, a producer, he's kind of the other half of Jesse Fry. I, I don't think I would feel comfortable at this point, like making a record with someone else. I feel like he's that tied into my sound. Mm -hmm. You made a bunch of videos and they all seem sort of fun. Cool, thanks. I know I saw this video of you sort of in like Xena Warrior style makeup running around with a sword fighting some vampire warlock dude. Yep. Was that fun to do? <laughs> Honestly, that was really tough. <laughs> no, that wasn't fun. I enjoyed making the video, but but a lot of that was hard because it was in the heat of Texas. Uh, does the makeup run? Is that what happened? It was just ungodly hot, and I had to learn how to sword fight a little bit to do that, and it wasn't a real sword. It was like a shitty cosplay sword, and I was kind of miserable during this takes. Did you want a real sword? You seem like the kind of person that was like, give me a fucking real sword, man. Well, actually, it, was, it wasn't It was a real sword, but it would kill you. It could kill you. <laughs> what do you mean? Like, do you, you could bludgeon someone with it? Is that what we're... No, it was extremely sharp. I mean, okay, I guess it was a real sword, but it wasn't like a <laughs> nice... It was like a nice, you know, legit sword. It was like... So you're saying it wasn't like the Ginsu knife. You're not going to cut any pennies or shoes with this thing. No. But if you wanted to beat somebody on the head with it... Oh, no, you could have stabbed someone with it and they would have been wounded. <laughs> this is weird. <laughs> <laughs> I think my new goal this season is to make somebody say that during every interview. <laughs> this, is, this is weird. <laughs> I don't know. I just did it. <laughs> there so since you've sort of dipped into this genre like is this where you're going to sort of float around for the the next little while is that totally i think it'd be silly not to as much fun as i'm having i do feel like if you go back to honey not to go into a whole thing but my father passed in june 2016 and so i took a lot of time off because that's a huge life situation mm -hmm. and my first song after my hiatus was honey and so if you kind of start with honey that came out in august of 2017 i believe yeah 2017 if you start with honey and then kind of look at the progression from 2017 on it kind of makes sense going from that to faded memory and stuff like that so sonically yeah i'm absolutely gonna keep experimenting with this are you asking like what's coming up next Sure. I'm asking whatever, man. It's all good. I've kind of announced this, I think, on my story a couple times. Some people know, some people don't, but pretty sure the next single is going to be a feature with Robert Parker. Yeah, Robert Parker's cool. So it'll be like Jesse Fry featuring Robert Parker. Did you know that Robert Parker is a doctor? I did. <laughs> you want to know how I knew that? How? Because I got to talk with him on Skype. <laughs> 
That's my favorite part about him. Yeah. Because he kept that secret for a long time. I know. It's so cute. (laughs) (laughs) He told me he was a doctor, and I was like, you are so fucking cool. You're literally a synth doctor. Yeah, it's amazing. I love... uh when I when we talked on the show, I literally it just became me just asking him doctor questions. Cause oh no, Annie! <laughs> no, but I was like, hey, I'd love to have you on a song, and he was like, of course. And so we got to chat, and um, I was actually in the studio today finishing up vocals for the track. So, well, you know what that is mm-hmm. exciting. It is exciting. It is exciting. Yeah. Well, look. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> What? Yours. <laughs> wow. You're making me very aware of the way that I sort of jump from topic to topic. I do well look, and then you're like, yes. <laughs> the, the thing is, my personality is kind of like a laser. So, like, <laughs> that sounded so dumb. I just focus. Like, I'm very, like, passionate. So, like, when you're asking me something, I'm, like, listening to your question in, like, 50 different ways. Yeah. So, I'm, like, real into it. I should probably ask better questions then, huh? <laughs> You ask great questions. Sure, I do. Well, look, we're going to listen to Faded Memory now. No, we're not. We're going to listen to. Uh, we're going to listen to Fantasy now. That's what we're going to do. Okay. Because this song was good. We'll talk about that and then the video and stuff because that was fun. Uh, this is a really great song. My personal favorite. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, cool. That's so great. Wait, am I allowed to say? It? Maybe I shouldn't say that's, that. I love. That's just so great to hear. Well, I'm, I'm so glad. I'm very. Uh, diplomatic guy when people ask me personal questions like when I'm on the show like I don't really like to play favorites or anything like that sure but uh, I just did so fuck it alright let's listen to this song (laughs) this is Fantasy by Jesse Fry
And that was Jesse Fry with the track Fantasy. And I'm here with Jesse Fry right now. Wow. Talking about stuff. We are. Yeah, upcoming collabs and things. So I have a funny question. No, it's not a funny question. I have a question. Okay. How comfortable are you when you have these, like if you film a video, like a sexy video, yeah. because I am a very self-conscious guy, <laughs> I can't do things like this. They make me uncomfortable. Sure. So is that something you can do like in seriousness? Like, you, cause you say you're like doing like acting and stuff like that. Like, is this like an acting part of your brain where you go like, you get into character or are you giggling between the scenes? Cause obviously like you're in a tub and stuff. So I feel like that would, I'd be giggling. That's what I'm saying to you. No, I come up with a concept for all my videos. So Wait, so you came not... up with the concept of running around with that sword? Correct. Well, then you got no one to blame but yourself, Jesse Fry. I know. Mm. <laughs> um, no, I come up with all the concepts. So so the reason I say that is because the, the feeling comes from within, right? So I typically go with my gut feeling of what I want to express visually. Even though I'm an actress, when it comes to performing in a music video, it's completely different because I'm not a, playing a role at all. It's honest. I think people responded so much to that video because I wasn't acting. I was extremely emotional during the takes of that video. So you were not giggling. Correct. Mm. I'm very comfortable with my sexuality and my body, and I prepare for videos if I'm going to be wearing something that's kind of sexy. I always kind of work out, you know, and get ready for it so I can feel confident. That's what I like to do. Um, So I also work with people that I love and trust, and so absolutely did not feel uncomfortable at all being naked. Did you have to digitally like hide anything? Whenever I see shots like this, mm-hmm. I do video editing and stuff and so I've always got this eye for like when cuts happen. Sure. And so there's always part of me that goes like, did she cut right there because that was the exact frame before like we got to see something? We did that on purpose. No, there's no digital editing. Um, there's no blurring or anything like that. There's actually in the, in the beginning shot, I think you can see and we thought we could probably I mean this is gonna I'm not I'm not I'm not trying to get raunchy, but I actually slip in slip in them in secret ways all the time to try and see if people will catch it. And most of the time they don't. Slip in what? Huh? What is Vim? Do what? I th- I thought you said slip in Vim. Vim. Yeah, what's that? Vim. The the goods. Like the cover of Honey, my top is see-through. But does that stand for something? Am I an old man? What's happening? I feel like you're like some hip kid that's like, you know, Vim, man. And I'm like, what the fuck is that? I'm, I'm trying not to say like, I, I secretly show off my tits, oh. you know? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's actually exactly what I do. So, well, the- yeah, there's like, a, there's like a scene in Faded Memory where they're a little more apparent than normal. Mm, you know, the, you got to understand, my listeners are a bunch of perverts. <laughs> so they're, they're going to they're like, go right to the video right. now and just drag the, the fucking, uh, what's that thing? Yeah. The, no, I do that because I think subconsciously it creates this, hey, this is me. I'm being natural. Mm-hmm. I, I want you to see me. Sure. And I think that that comes across because it's not like, ooh, check out my hot tits, you know? <laughs> um <laughs> That's what I'm like. So, like, whenever I film the, the YouTube episode, that's all I say is, like, to the audience, I just look right into the camera and, like, check out my hot tits. Right? Yeah. No, that's, that's what we definitely did not want for fantasy. We understood that I'm, an, I'm naked in a tub. Um, we were actually kind of bummed out 
that we had to edit out my breasts because some of the most beautiful shots were when they were in the shots because it, it didn't ever look pornographic. It always looked very vulnerable and emotional. That's what Vimeo is for. And, well, we, we thought about it. Like, should we make an unedited? I was like, you know, I don't think I really want to go no, there. No, you're fine. You're you fine. can sell it at shows on the black market. <laughs> no, I'm not doing well, that. Well, first of all, you got to stop playing the black market. It's not a good... Uh, or whatever. It's not a good place to play. So, <laughs> I don't know. Do you like the video? Is it? I, I feel like I was so nervous about it because I was afraid that people were going to think it was too sexual. But I, I, I don't think anyone is that ever anyone's problem. The synthwave scene isn't a very prudish scene. I mean, like if you look at say like New Retrowave as a channel, for example, I mean, like a lot of the content is always a song featuring a '80s pinup girl or something. I know, but you have to understand. There's also a fine line between being able to be sensual and erotic and still communicate with the listener what's happening and then there's that other half of where it's all that they see there's that fine line to me at least yeah and i, I think that is more the domain of the female artist mm -hmm. that, that's mm -hmm. i think a struggle that you guys have to deal with a lot more than dudes Sure. Then that gets into like a weird sort of territory because like I have no problem with women using their sexuality as a, like it's there. It's there. Like use it. I mean, people oh, totally. like it. Okay. Oh, same here. I, I totally support it. I think it's amazing when people express themselves sexually. I guess what I should be more specific for fantasy. The song was incredibly private for me. Sure. And that's what I didn't want for it to be just a very sexy video. Honey is a really sexy video. Mm. You know, I'm on a fucking stripper pole. Like, I get it. But for fantasy, because the song meant something much deeper to me on a very personal level, I wanted to have a more sexual vulnerability in it. Sure. Versus a, ooh, look at my butt cheeks. <laughs> you know, flapping back and forth. I don't know. Yeah, that's what I would say as well if I had an ass, but I'm a skinny guy. I don't I same here. I got to go do squats after this. God, I wish I could do squats. I can't. I'm so inflexible, if that's a word. I've never touched my toes. All right, so there's a thing for you. I can't put my arms behind my neck. So I can't actually support a bar on my shoulders like the squats way. You're going to have to do you're going to have to fix that. I know. Let's fucking work. I, <laughs> I'm also really lazy and have no well, excuse. There's the, real, there's the real issue. Come on. Yeah, no, I know what the issue is. <laughs> I've been fighting this my whole life. Uh, I want to. I, actually, I want to keep talking about this, but we got to listen to a song. Okay. Because uh, that's what we do here. So I thought I would play uh, this track, although we did listen to the original version of Honey. I did see that Phaserland did a remix yeah. of Honey, and I dig Phaserland. I think it'd be cool to uh, listen to that, and then we'll, uh, we'll keep talking. So this is uh, Honey, the Phaserland remix. Hey, got me feeling like a teenager Wanna drop all my plans and meet with ya Hey, got me lit up like a neon sign Wanna turn you out and make you
was Honey by Jesse Fry, the Phaserland remix. So that's fun because I don't think I've ever done that in a show before, like played the original and a remix. Oh, cool. Yeah. He did a kick-ass job with that. God. Yeah, man. No, Phaserland is a cool guy. He is the dude. I should have him back on the show. He hasn't been on in a while. All right. Well, we'll we'll do that. But anyways, we were uh, we were talking about the, uh, the video. Yeah. For me, when I hear music, sometimes like a one-second thing in songs, that'll be like the hook for me. Mm. That, you know, there's like that, that particular moment moment and for some reason with fantasy there's a lot of emotion in the actual vocals themselves and for some reason the the exact second is when you go like i feel like oh i feel like yeah that's it that's the thing i don't know why i feel like is the thing is is yeah and i don't know why that is uh but that's the thing where like when i hear that note you hit along with like the music and for some reason it's like that second where i'm like that's the that's the part <laughs> for me I think we, and we did like we did like i feel like yeah. we did that one first you know 
and then we wanted the other one to be a little bit different. Yeah, I like the one that goes up. The, I hey. feel like like that. I don't know why. There's something about like it's sort of the pitch bendy vocal. Yeah. I think it's just got this interesting confessional feel, maybe. I'm glad you like it. Yay. <laughs> that makes me feel happy. Well, I, you know, I just, I'm, I sound so silly, but I was very, very nervous about it because it came from a really personal thing. And I was like, wow, I can't believe I'm releasing something like this and ended up being really well received and... I think it just makes me feel happy that people connect to something I felt deeply. You know, not not because it's like, ooh, cool, I did something right. It was just more like it makes me so happy that other people are, the song is there for them or whatever. When you're sort of crafting a song, mm-hmm. you're, you know, like singing and writing and stuff like this. Like, are you coming up with the music or is that what Matt is doing? So, no, I write, I write everything first. So, you know, I'm always playing piano, guitar, singing, and, and I can feel like when it's a night that I need to sit down and write, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I actually started writing fantasy on Halloween, which is kind of cool. I came home from a Halloween party in my acting class and sat down to my piano and played the E flat E flat minor chord with the B in the in the bass and um, just kind of heard that and I was like, oh, that sounds really longing, you know. So basically, it starts like that, and then I start playing it and then I open my mouth and see if something cool comes out, and I'll get like a little snippet of something most of the time, and then. And then it'll leave me. Then I won't come up with anything else for like a few days and I'll come back and then I'll get some more of the song written. And then when I feel like it's a winner, I'll take it to Matt and play it for him on piano and guitar and say, hey, this is the drum feel that I'm thinking of. This is the synth sound that I'm looking for. I want my vocals to kind of have this quality to it. And then I sit in the back of the studio basically and watch him fuck with it. (laughs) (laughs) We have this cool thing where it's like, here's what I do and don't want. Go for it, Matt. And then I leave Matt alone. He does, you know, drum programming and picks out synth sounds with me. He adds his part to the arrangement, which is quite a quite a lot. I'm not capable of, you know, I'm not an engineer. So, you know, he knows that I veto power at the end of the day, but it's also a, a give and take relationship in terms of, you know, the vision. So that's basically how it works. It's my baby. Bring it to him. He fucks with it. And I'm like, yes, cool. And now let's keep going with this or that. And it's truly a collaboration. So it's, that's, you know, why he gets songwriting credit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's cool, man. Well, it's uh, it's good stuff. It is cool, man. Yeah. It is cool, man. Okay? <laughs> it's fucking cool. I feel like I'm losing control of my show. Do you feel like something dark is taking over here? Yeah, I do. <laughs> I feel like... <laughs> Do you think it's what you need, honestly? Just you know, when I get in the tub and my mascara starts running... I'm, I'm quoting my own song trying to be funny, and it's just not working. <laughs> <laughs> no, I got the joke. I'm hip. I'm with it. I didn't know what the fuck Vim was, but I mean, like, I'm down. I'm down to clown. Vim, Vim were my breasts. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, we can probably fucking wind this down here. Was there uh, anything we didn't talk about that you wanted to talk about? No. <laughs> no man it's cool hey man listen hey man do y'all say y'all <laughs> this is a fun way to end do y'all say y'all do do i say y'all no fuck no i ain't y'all are fucked i up. ain't no you come i'm in canada man we got our own we got our own stuff we say a that's actually true uh what else can you try to say y'all i can what do you want me to say i don't know y'all well y'all have a good time down there in texas y'all Keep on trucking. Don't do motherfucker. that. Motherfucker. <laughs> Isn't that the expression? I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, listen. 
This was cool, man. I want you to to end this with some sort of um, positive words of encouragement to all those people listening. There's eight. So you tell them each individually. I can give you their names. <laughs> Wait, what? My eight listeners. There's eight. There's Jeff, Tim, Derek. I can't come up with fake names on the you spot. Mean like live, like right now? Yeah. I'm, uh, you tell them all. Tell the eight listeners of this show. Okay. That they should believe in themselves, follow their hearts, y'all. It's an uh, okay. It's an opportunity clock, not an alarm clock. <laughs> Perfect. Wonderfully done. You like that? Yeah, and I did. That was good. All right. Well, look, Jesse Fry, it was lovely to chat with you. I had so much fun. I hope to be back someday. And yes, make more music and send it to me, and then I we'll will. play it on the show, man, because it's good stuff. You have a lovely voice, and uh, it's. I'm glad you're making cool music because I like cool music. I appreciate you so much. Thank you for having me on. And that was my conversation with Jesse Fry. That was a good time. So we're gonna we're gonna wind this down here. Great, for no- great interview, Andy. I loved it. Thanks, mate. <laughs> you're, we- you're welcome. <laughs> wow, so, such a long time to wait, too. People don't realize. I just make you sit there for like an hour and twenty minutes while uh, while the interviews go on. I know. I couldn't even play video games while I was waiting. He literally won't let me do anything. I just keep your eyes pried open like Clockwork Orange style, and I just put you in a chair. And I don't know why your eyes have to be open to listen, but... (laughs) (laughs) Well, look, man, uh, it's always great to uh, chat with you. Is that it? Oh, I thought we were going to talk about other stuff. All right, fine. The fucking show's over. What people are like, why isn't the show over? But we haven't talked properly, just you and one-on-one in ages, so I've got a lot of shit to shoot, I guess. It's all right, next time, then. Um, You mean mean all this conversation about Mortal Kombat wasn't wasn't deep enough for you? No, we can go way... Way deeper. Way deeper. <laughs> but that's all right. That's all right. Uh, uh, that's for an arc. I'll message you this stuff probably. It's probably better not to talk about it in public anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so you are going to send me pictures of you in your underwear. You'll be back, I guess, in a few weeks when we do the uh, the next family show. Yep, that'd be great. And until then, uh, everybody out there in Radio Land, uh, have a lovely day and tune in next time to Beyond Synth, the best synthwave chat show there is. Perfect. All right. Thanks for If you enjoy the show, please consider supporting it by going to patreon.com slash beyondsynth or visit beyondsynth.com and click on support the show. Beyond Synth is made possible by the awesome Patreon supporters. Don't forget to follow Beyond Synth on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. Live broadcasts can be heard weekly on Twitch at twitch.tv slash beyond underscore synth. Have a lovely week.